yeah, I'll do my best to stay stay right here. <clears throat> Matthew 18, um, you know, when, when uh, at the first of the year, shortly after the first year, we started our series on Sunday mornings on the parables of Christ. And I, I warned you then uh, that there is a good possibility that we're going to be repeating a few parables that I've preached on before. Um, and this morning is one of those mornings. So I, I, I went back through my old sermons because I keep them uh, uh, in my, uh, on my hard drive. And I couldn't figure out when I preached this, but I know I have. So if, if you've heard this before, you can sleep. It's okay. Um, no, 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 no. I'm teasing. Um, uh, it, it should not be the same message. It may be on the same topic but it should not be the same message, hopefully. Okay, so so just um, if you've heard parts of this before, just bear with me. Hopefully there is some good nuggets for you. You know, that's the one thing about the Word of God. It never hurts to repeat the Word of God. And uh, I, I, uh, I, 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 can t- I can't tell you how many times I've read the Bible, a passage I've read numerous times, and then I'll read it and God will, say, God will just jump something right off the page at me. And I'm like, wow. That is so cool. So uh, I trust it'll be a blessing to you uh, this morning. I, I, I know I enjoyed studying for it. Um, but how many of you are like me and you love stories where the bad guy gets what he deserves at the end of the story? Okay. I, I think that's one of the reasons why I like the old westerns, the old black and whites, because the good guy always wins, you know. You don't even really need to watch the whole thing. You watch the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes, and you, and you know the story, right? Um, because the bad guy always gets what he deserves at the end of the story. Uh, and this, this parable is, is kind of like that, in, in a sense. The, the, bad, the, the bad guy gets what he deserves. Um, uh, again, I, I am convinced. I, I spent a lot of time praying and and and... I don't know if arguing would be a good word, but I did discuss. But God, I've preached on this this parable before, and and anyway, God won, and um, so I'm convinced that 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 this morning's message is exactly what we need for this morning. So because of that, I'm convinced that there's someone here today that needs this message. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that in my heart, and um, I hope that we all need this message. That's that is really uh, my conviction. <clears throat> the subject that we're going to be talking about this morning is something that has robbed many people of sleep. It has it has uh, robbed you from friendships. It has robbed you from joy. It's robbed you from contentment. And most importantly, it's robbed us, robbed you, it's robbed me from a full life in Christ. You know, Christ has, uh, Christ desires that we have a full life in him. In, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. And, I, you know, I've talked about this before, but the word full here does not, does, does not, okay, when, when, I got to get back over here. Um, 
when when we talk about you know, you know if I were to ask my wife to get me a full cup of water, uh, what would she do? She would go and she she'd fill it up, but she would fill it to about this to the, about this much to the top, right? Why? Because as soon as you move, it's going to spill, right? So you know in our minds that's the that's what when we think of a full cup, that's what we think of. But that's not what this word means. This word literally means to be filled to the brim, right? You know how when it's something is really full, it almost has a crown to it? That's what this word is. And that is the kind of joy that God desires you to have this morning. The subject that we're going to be talking about, if you haven't figured it out yet, is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness robs people from sleep. I read a I read a, uh, a an article uh, recently, and I'm trying to remember the source. I can't I, I I can't remember the source. But a very well known psychiatrist said this: that if if he could convince his patients that are in mental mental hospitals of the forgiveness of God in their lives, two-thirds of his patients would be released immediately because of guilt, broken friendships, the lack of peace, the lack of connection. Unforgiveness can cause many, many things in our lives. This morning, I want to share with you two elements of forgiveness, and this is not the sermon. This is just introduction, okay? So, but there are two elements of forgiveness that are key. So, so please get a hold of these. The, the, these things are just super important, and you'll you'll see these as we go through this parable this morning. <clears throat> the first one is honesty. Honesty. The second one is humility. Honesty and humility are key essential elements to forgiveness. Damaged and hurt relationships cannot be healed without honesty and humility. It is absolutely vital. Look at Matthew chapter 18. Or, yeah, chapter 18. In verse 15, it says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. I personally believe, now this is, this is my conviction here. I personally believe. That Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15 is one of the most difficult verses to live in the Bible. It takes honesty and humility to live this verse. What is the understood principle here? There's, a, there's, a, there's an underlying principle here that 
oftentimes we miss, and that is if we do not go to a brother that has offended us, then there's no hope for restoration. Bitterness and anger can set in. Things can be said, hurtful things. I've seen it destroy families and relationships because someone is too proud to swallow their stinking pride and go and do what needs to be done. Honesty and humility. I came across an article written by a guy named Roy L. Smith. I know nothing about Roy L. Smith. I just I, I liked what he wrote. Okay, so I'm not I'm not I'm not saying this is you know I just I like what he wrote. Okay, um, he says this. He says the art of forgiveness uh, is a spiritual grace every Christian should develop. I like that statement because this is so difficult to put into practice. He gives us he gives he gives eight suggestions on how to put forgiveness into practice. The first one is this: Be, begin by assuming, uh, 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 excuse me, begin by assuring yourself that compared to Christ's suffering, you have been seriously uh, you haven't been seriously wronged at all. Hello. Can I? Can somebody say something here? All right. Okay. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is nothing compared to what Christ went through for you. And that is something that we need to to get into our heads. The second thing that he says: recall the many kind deeds that the person who has offended you did for you. I know people that have lifelong friendships end because of one event and they forget all of the kindness that has happened over the years. And what he's saying is, you know what, don't concentrate on this one event, but concentrate on all the good things that has happened. And it puts everything in perspective. The third thing, he says, list the benefits you, re- you have received from the Lord. That should be a long list. Number four, thank him for the blessings that you have received and for his love and forgiveness every day. Because he forgave, we should forgive. Number five, make an honest effort to pray for the one who has injured you. They should be at the top of your prayer list every single day. Number six, go even further by looking for opportunities to help them. Ouch. Number seven, If the offense is especially hard to forgive, try to erase the memory by thinking gracious 
and generous thoughts. And then number eight. I really like this. Number eight. Finally, before you fall asleep at night, repeat slowly and thoughtfully the phrase from the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness is so important. So important. This morning we're going to be talking about the unforgiven servant. That's the title of the message this morning. The unforgiving servant. The unforgiving servant. Let's let's uh, look at <coughs> uh, chapter 18. Uh, let's start reading again in verse 23. <clears throat> Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had began... To reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, uh, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant, therefore, fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. And the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And thy servant uh, and, thy, and his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till his, uh, till he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants uh, saw what was done, they were very uh, sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he uh, had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Should not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him Uh, to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall thy heavenly Father do also unto you, if if ye from your hearts forgave not every one his brother their trespasses. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the word of God. And thank you for the, the truths and the principles of the word of God that we can live by. And we can hold on to. And Lord, as we talk this morning about unforgiveness or the need for forgiveness, help us, dear God. Help us, dear God, to identify needs in our own lives and have the strength and the wisdom to do what we need to do. We are truly thankful and we are truly blessed. For it's in Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. As we have, since we've been studying parables, we always ask the question, why did Jesus tell this parable? Okay, this is an incredible parable, and we're going to, We're going to learn a lot from it, but why did Jesus tell the parable? Well, the answer to that is really very simple. Go back to verses 21 and 22. Uh, My favorite character in the Bible, uh, Peter, uh, he and I have a lot in common. Uh, He would have forgotten your name too, Bruce, I promise you. Um, Um. in verse 21, it says, Then Peter, uh, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often uh, shall... Uh, hold on, I turned the page too quick. Uh, how oft shall my uh, brother sin against me and I forgive him until seven times? And Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Verse 23 starts the parable. So G- Peter comes to Jesus and he says, hey, hey, Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive my brothers, uh, my brethren, if they sin against me? And, and uh, till seven times? And, and we've talked about this many times at our church. And, and, and the, the, the Pharisees taught that if you, you only had to forgive three times, that's what, that's what the Pharisees taught. So what Peter was doing was being a pious Christian is what he was doing. Oh, I will forgive seven times. Jesus says no. Until 70 times seven. So Peter makes two huge, serious mistakes. Two. The first one, the first mistake that he makes is he shows absolutely no humility. Zero humility here. He was confident that someone was going to hurt or offend him. Now, how many of you are confident that before you die, somebody is going to hurt or offend you? Raise your hand. Everybody better raise your hand because it's going to happen, okay? Okay? So Peter was confident. What was the mistake he made? The mistake that he made was thinking that he would not be the offender. What, what do I do, Jesus, when somebody offends me? What should the question have been? Jesus, what do I do when I, when I offend someone else? Pray they don't shoot me. The unfortunate truth in this, in, this, in this parable and the event with Peter, the unfortunate truth is this. We have all hurt or offended someone. We have all done it. Nobody in this room is immune to it, especially me. You hang around me long enough and I will say something stupid. I just do. And y'all are laughing because you know it's true. You've heard me. The reality is this. We want people, because we all know we're guilty, 
but we want everybody to forgive us, do we not? When we do something stupid or we say something that's hurtful. How many times have you said something and as, a, as it's rolling off your tongue, you, you're wishing you could pull it back? But once it's out, it's out. But we want people to forgive us when we make mistakes. But we're not always so willing to forgive when we get hurt. The second mistake that Peter makes here, and this is this is an interesting mistake that uh, until I really was studying this, it never really kind of, I, I, anyway, Peter was asking Jesus for a measuring stick. Right? Okay, seven times. And I could just see Peter going, yes, seven times. Okay, I'm a good Christian. And he, you know, I just picture him having one of those little clicker things in his hand. That's four, buddy. Come on, come on, three more, baby. Come on. You know what I'm saying? I I can just almost see it. But what does Jesus say? There is no measuring stick. There's no measuring stick. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, uh, that the Lord may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend all, excuse me, with all saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye may be filled with the fullness of God. What, what, is, what is Paul telling us here in Ephesians? I, I believe this. You can't measure the width, the height, the depth of the love of God. And we are, we are to have that knowledge and experience that kind of knowledge. By making a measuring stick, if you would, longer, Peter was trying to be gracious. But the problem, the mistake that he made, is he forgot about love, grace, and mercy. Love, grace, and mercy. Something that should be a part of our lives, every single one of us should know love, grace, and mercy. Jesus says 70 times 7, and that is how many times? Quick quick math, 490 times. 490 times. And I I did some research, and, and according to... And uh, an article published in 2009 by the European uh, Journal of Social Psychology, they said this, it takes 18 to 254 days for a person to form a new habit. So basically two weeks, 
to almost a year, 254 days to form a habit. Well within the 490 times that Jesus tells Peter. So basically, in a nutshell, what was Jesus telling Peter? Forgiveness should be a habit. When you keep forgiving and keep forgiving and keep forgiving, forgiveness becomes a habit. And you lose count. That's the key. Jesus wasn't giving Peter a new stick saying, okay, it's 490 times and, and, and you know, clicking them off, 300, okay, come on, keep going, keep going. No, that's not what, Peter was, that's not what Jesus was telling Peter. Peter. Peter understood what Jesus was trying to say, and that is, number one, <clears throat> it should be a habit. Number two, don't count. Because the reality is you would lose count if you even tried. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 2. It says, Though and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and, ha- and though I have all faith so that I can uh, remove mountains. Let, let's, let's stop there and let's talk about what, what, what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Basically what he's saying is, if you have all knowledge and understanding and faith, you, you have it all. You, you have developed all of these skills in your life. Whoa, you are something. Is that what Paul says? No, that's not what he says. And he says, and have not charity. I am nothing. He says, you can have all the knowledge and the wisdom and all of this stuff, but if you don't have love, mercy, and grace a part of your life, you are nothing. That's a powerful statement. The word charity here in the Greek is the word agape. Anybody know what that means? Unconditional love unconditional love, no strings attached. Not just a phileo love, but agape love. It doesn't matter what your knowledge is and all of the stuff that you've accumulated in your life. If you do not have agape love, then you've got nothing. The parable of the unforgiving servant is about forgiveness between brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it's about. And as I studied, I noticed that some people tried to draw a parallel between the forgiveness between God and man. And that is, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's not a proper interpretation of the scriptures. And a lot of people like to tie that to that and say, see, God gets to choose who he loves and who he doesn't. No, that's not true. God loves all men. How do I, how do I know that? Well, because Jesus is answering Peter's question with a parable. And the, the question is very clear. How, how many times do I have to forgive a brother? Very simple. 
So this point number two, did I give you point number one? Well, that was Peter, Peter's questions. I'm sorry. I already, I, already did, I already gave you that. Sorry about that. Point number two. Let's talk about the main character here very quickly. i got to go quick. Got to go quick here. The main character. The main character here of the parable goes through four stages of, of, of his journey, what I'm going to call four stages of his journey. Okay, the first, the first stage of his journey, he was a debtor, okay? He owed the king money. The king, the king, the Bible says very clearly here that the king did an audit of the books, and what happened? They found out he'd been skimming the books, and that he had been, he had been uh, uh, embezzling funds from the king, and the king <clears throat> wasn't, wasn't happy about it. Now, I did, I did a little research on this, too. Um, 10,000 talents. Anybody know what, what that translates into modern-day dollars? I'd say $100,000. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of money. It's, it's in the millions of dollars. Now, scholars... You know, say different things, but it's in the millions upon millions of dollars that this guy owed that was forgiven him. And the king had every right to get his money back, did he not? And he was going to, he had every right to sell him and his family into slavery. And, and to sell his house and, and, and have a garage sale and sell all the stuff. And, and he had every right to recoup the money that was due him. But Jesus gives us a little glimpse into the heart of this man <clears throat> when he says, he says, basically, I'm going to paraphrase. Well, wait, wait a second. It's in, I think it's in verse 26. Um, at the end of verse 26, it says, the, uh, Lord, have patience with me, and I will repay thee all. In other words, what was he saying? Hey, if you give me enough time, I, I'll, 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 I'll figure out how to, uh, you know, just give me a little bit more time. I, I can do it. So God gives us a little glimpse into this guy's heart because it was full of pride. The other thing that we see is the lack of sincerity of repentance. We find out very quickly because of the story that he was not ashamed of what he had done. He was ashamed of the fact he got caught. How many of you have kids know what I'm talking about? <laughs> We've all been there. He wasn't ashamed of what he had done. He was ashamed of the fact that he got caught. He wasn't, quote, unquote, smart enough. Just give me your time. I'll, I'll get the money to you. The second stage of his journey is that he, he was forgiven the debt. In verse 27, it says, And the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. In the millions upon millions of dollars. Can you imagine forgiving that kind of debt? I don't know about you, but I, I, I have a hard time. I, I wish whoever holds the note on my house would do that. That would be really awesome. 
but just, just says, you know what? Don't worry about it. Important lesson here. He did not deserve the debt to be forgiven. It was an act of love and mercy. Psalm chapter 32 and verse 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I hid, have I, excuse me, have I not hid. I say, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13, uh, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have what? Mercy. And that's exactly what the king showed to this servant. This, the third stage of his journey. He went from being a debtor to being forgiven the debt. And the third stage is he becomes now a creditor. He is the one that is owed money. The average, okay, basically what happens here is he goes to this fellow servant who owes him basically a, a hundred pennies. Okay, now the average daily wage was a penny. So basically a hundred days wages is what he owes him. And he gets, he gets angry because he can't pay and he, and he, and he, and he, and he throws him into prison. But instead of sharing his good fortune with this guy, he demands payment. Now, let, let's talk about this because <clears throat> what does the second servant say to the first servant? The same exact thing, word for word. Have patience with me and I will repay thee all. But what happens? He doesn't have patience with him. There is no compassion. There is no mercy. There is no grace. There is no love. But selfishness. And this is an important point here. He had every legal right to do what he did. He had the right, the legal right, to have this man thrown in prison. He had the legal right to, to recoup as much money as he could to repay the hundred, the hundred pennies. He had the legal right to do that, but did he have the moral right? That's the question. Because there is no compassion, there is no, there is no love. And Jesus gives us an incredible reminder here of, the, of this parable. See, in Matthew chapter 6, which is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in verses 14 and 15. For if, thou, for, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. He was missing an important part of life here. Jesus says, if you forgive those that trespass against you, 
then I will forgive you. And one of the reasons why we lose sleep, we, we lose friendships, we have no joy, we have all of these things going on in our lives when we don't forgive is because God doesn't forgive us. I'm going to say something here and, and you're going to think, wow, pastor, that's, that, that, that's harsh. But I'm just, I'm being honest. If you are unwilling to forgive, don't bother praying. Just saying. Unless you're asking God to forgive you. Because God won't hear your prayers. That's a harsh thing, but it's, it's, it's what the Bible says. The fourth stage of this man's journey. He went from a debtor to being debt-free to being a creditor. And then he went to be, stage number four, a prisoner. A prisoner. One of the things, and most of you know, that I go out to Lovelock uh, once a month out to the prison out of Lovelock. And one of the things that I've learned there is there is more than one way to be a prisoner. Some of the freest people I know live in the prison in Lovelock. Warren Wiersbe wrote this. The world's worst prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. If you refuse to forgive others, then we are only imprisoning ourselves and causing our own torment. Some of the most miserable people I have met in my ministry have been people who would not forgive others. And I would have to say amen to that. They lived only to imagine ways to punish these people who had wronged them, but they were really only punishing themselves. And ultimately, the man in our story who was he hurting the most? Himself. Himself. But there was a problem with this guy. And that is this. He had received forgiveness, but he never experienced forgiveness. You know what I'm saying? When we experience forgiveness, we, we, are, we are able to, to give forgiveness. But I know people who have been saved, they've been forgiven. But they are some of the meanest, most hateful people I've ever met. Why? Because it never went from here to here. They don't know what love and mercy and grace is. And that is, I think that's what this guy's problem was. Peter comes to Jesus and asks for a measuring stick. And Jesus says, no, Peter, there is no measuring, for, there is no measuring stick. You need to experience 
and give and show love, mercy, and grace. Warren Wiersbe went on to say this. We reveal the true condition of our hearts by the way we treat others. When our hearts are humble and repentant, we will gladly forgive our brothers. But where there is pride and a desire for revenge, there can be no true repentance. And this means God cannot forgive. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12 and 13. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Forgiveness. I want to remind you of one of the things that the list at the beginning I read. Make an effort to pray for someone who's hurt you. Make an effort. Take time to think about the good things that that individual has done for you. But more importantly, think about what Christ has done for you. And the love and the mercy and the grace that he's shown you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, you know that every one of us here, every one of us in this room has been hurt at one time or another. And you also know that every one of us here has, has hurt. It's nothing new to us. But dear Lord, you have taught, you taught on it many times. And the Bible is full of forgiveness, mercy and love. And the fact that we need to be that way toward our fellow believers. And Lord, as Peter said, how many times do I need to forgive? And your answer was very, very simple. Just keep forgiving. Make it a habit. Lord, help us to be habitual forgivers. Help us, dear God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you.